Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book The Great Game, The Emergence of Wall Street as a World Power 1653-2000. When asked to name a world power, many people's first thought is the United States, and when it comes to American finance, the first name that comes to mind is Wall Street. This didn't happen overnight. There is a deep and complicated history between the rise of the USA, and its largest financial market. When Wall Street first began it was simply a dirt street in the Dutch colony of New Amsterdam. It became a huge capital market for the first time in 1860 and today it is the heart of the world economy. How did it rise from such humble beginnings to the center of the financial world? How does it affect your life today? What lessons are there to learn from the history of such a powerful institution? Whether you want to realize financial freedom, understand the laws of the market, or learn about the financial development of the United States, knowing about Wall Street is essential. Wall Street is founded on investment, all business activities on Wall Street are inextricably linked to this word. So what is investment? Investing is simply putting your money in a place where you expect it to increase in value. The most famous method of investing on Wall Street is the buying and selling of shares. You put your money into a business by buying a small part of it called a share. You are optimistic about the future of the business and hope to make a profit by having your money grow with it. Investment is a relatively safe and responsible way of handling money. However, Wall Street is more famous for a different type of investment strategy. It's dangerous, fast, can make you a millionaire or go totally broke almost overnight, and it's speculation. Speculation occurs when investors are primarily focused on short-term gains. The idea is to profit by predicting the rise or fall of a stock, buying when it rises and selling when it falls. Understanding these terms is just the tip of the iceberg when considering the full scope of Wall Street. It's easy to get lost when trying to engage with a such a complex concept, but luckily John Steele Gordon is here to guide us in the book we are unlocking today The Great Game, The Emergence of Wall Street as a World Power 1653-2000. Gordon charts the development of the US capital markets through tumultuous years of warfare, economic development and depression, and the battles between regulators and speculators. The author of this book John Steele Gordon, is an American author and economic historian. Born in New York in 1944, his two grandfathers were members of the New York Stock Exchange. Gordon received his BA in history from Vanderbilt University in 1966. He is best known for his books The Empire of Wealth, The Epic History of American Economic Power, The Business of America, Tales from the Marketplace, and this book The Great Game, the Emergence of Wall Street as a World Power 1653-2000. The book we are unlocking today The Great Game has been featured in a two-hour special report by CNBC. Next, we will take you through the history of the U.S. capital market via the three stages of Wall Street's development. Part 1, The Birth and Development of Wall Street. 
Part 2, The Metamorphic Leap of Wall Street. Part 3, Wall Street's Year-Round Leadership. Part 1, The Birth and Development of Wall Street. The story begins with the strange case of Holland's tulip mania. Tulips entered Western Europe from Turkey in the mid-16th century and immediately captivated the attention of the Europeans. The plant was loved so much that it became a frenzy. By the early 17th century, some tulips could fetch astonishingly high prices, and in the gardens of the wealthy, certain varieties became a symbol of status and wealth. By the early 1730s, the focus on floral luxury had led to speculative mania. People were no longer just paying for the cost of cultivating and transporting tulips, nor were they satisfied with the flower's ornamental value, but rather they were treating the tulips and their bulbs as appreciating assets. It got so crazy that people began to think that tulips would indefinitely increase in price. This phenomenon later became known as the theory of the greater fool. This is the expectation that someone even more foolish than oneself will be willing to buy an already overvalued asset at a higher price. The tulip mania went on until investors began realizing that this speculation was not creating wealth, regardless of their price the tulips were just that tulips. Once a couple of speculators realized this and started selling all their tulips, the bubble burst. Prices began to collapse, leaving countless people out of pocket. To this day financiers, use the term tulip mania to describe similar economic situations such as the South Sea Company fiasco and the dot-com bubble of the 90s. Why start the story of Wall Street with a story from Holland? Because New York began as New Amsterdam, a Dutch colony. The Dutch brought with them their financial institutions and culture, including the same spirit of speculation that fueled the tulip mania. The Dutch were not defined by failures such as the mania. In fact, at the time of the founding of New Amsterdam the Dutch had the highest GDP in the world. They were financial geniuses and brought to New York some of the earliest techniques for manipulating stock markets. They popularized financial strategies, still in use today such as short selling. Short selling occurs when someone borrows a stock from its owner. They then immediately sell the stock and wait for the price of the stock to fall below the point at which they sold it. Once it has reached this point they rebuy the stock and return it to the original owner. The short seller now gets to pocket the difference between the prices they sold and bought the stock at. In addition to this, the Dutch were pioneers of the bear raid, an illegal practice where insiders conspire to sell shares short and wait until other stock owners start to panic and sell all their shares. This causes the stock price to fall, and then the insiders buy back the shares they previously sold at a lower price to make a profit. Then there is cornering, also illegal, where an individual or group secretly establishes control over a company, a stock, or commodity in circulation. They then use this control to force other buyers to buy the stock at an artificially high price. The prosperity of New Amsterdam caused it to be coveted by the English colonists in the American colonies. In 1653, the rulers of New Amsterdam, fearing that the English colonists would attack by land, built a wall 750 yards long and nearly 12 feet high in the northern part of the city in 1653. However, 
The English launched an attack from the sea and the defensive walls were useless. When the British captured New Amsterdam, they renamed it New York after the Duke of York, who would later go on to become King James II of England. In 1698, the walls were demolished and the street next to where they stood became known as Wall Street. Have you ever wondered why New York, the USA's largest city and economic center is not the capital of the country? The answer lies in the first wave of stock market speculation to hit the US. After winning the War of Independence, the USA's economy was struggling. Alexander Hamilton, the first Secretary of the Treasury advocated large-scale national fiscal plans, such as massive issuance of national debt, and the establishment of a central bank to regulate the country's money supply. His political opponent Thomas Jefferson argued that the national government should not take such a prominent role in economic policy. In order to get his proposals through, Hamilton made the political concession of allowing the capital to be moved from New York to Washington, D.C. Since Hamilton was able to consolidate debt under a national government and retain control of the U.S.'s money market, a new era of security trading began in America. Shares issued by the newly chartered banks along with state and treasury bonds flooded into the market. To support this newly emerging system and the massive amount of people now involved in it, brokers, people who professionally buy and sell securities began to appear in the market. As their businesses grew in size, some brokers began to look for a regular trading venue. They first turned to Bostonian coffee houses. These venues were symbols of the Enlightenment and where many up-and-coming intellectuals, politicians, and businessmen chose to conduct meetings. Eventually, like the London coffee houses of the past, these became the largest gathering place for information exchange in the USA. However this couldn't last. Stock trading kept growing, and as the market increased, so too did demands for regulation, structure, and general organization. John Sutton and Benjamin Jay established the first stock auction house at 22 Wall Street in early 1792. This became known as the Stock Exchange Office, where people completed the sale and purchase of shares. Unfortunately, it did not last long, as many brokers came to the auctions not to acquire shares, but to inquire about prices. Once they knew how much the auction house was selling a given stock for, they would leave and sell the same shares off the floor at a lower commission. This forced the floor brokers to trade outside the exchange office in order to compete with the low commission rates of the unaffiliated traders. In order to put a stop to off-exchange trading, 21 brokers and three brokerage firms came together on 21 March 1792 to sign the famous Buttonwood Tree Agreement, so named for its signing purportedly being under a Buttonwood Tree. This contract set up a new auction center with stringent rules and regulations. The biggest change was that each broker who signed the agreement could not charge a commission rate of less than 0.25% when trading. This prevented brokers from engaging in destructive off-exchange trade wars and discouraged off-market trading altogether. The agreement also stipulated that only brokers who had signed were eligible to participate in auctions held at the new center. The Buttonwood Agreement is considered to be the origin of the New York Stock Exchange, NYSE. Though an antique now, 
This agreement affected the NYSE for many years, and is the reason why it unlike most stock exchanges was operated on a long-term membership basis. And among the founders of the New York Stock Exchange, there was a big player in the newly developed bull market by the name William Dewar. He was the originator of many types of insider trading and his influence is still felt today. He was born in England in 1747, and later settled in New York. When the Revolutionary War broke out, he sided with the colonies against his native Britain, and was even elected as a Continental Congressman. After the War of Independence, he was appointed Secretary to the Board of Treasury, a position in which he obtained detailed inside information on federal bonds. Dewar was a successful speculator. He was able to leverage his political positions, wealth, and natural charisma to make connections with high-ranking individuals in the American government. He tied himself to officials such as Henry Knox, then the U.S. Secretary of War, and such links in turn led more and more people to believe that he had access to a lot of inside information. But Dewar is not remembered for his successes but rather a single spectacular failure. There was a rumor that the Bank of the United States was planning to buy the Bank of New York. Dewar whipped investors into a frenzy by leaking the information that he had used the account of his partner Alexander McComb, one of the richest men in America, as well as money they funded from other sources to buy shares in the Bank of New York. But what the general populace didn't know was that Dewar in order to offset the risk, while grandstanding his buying of Bank of New York shares, had also privately shorted the Bank of New York with his own account. Dewar also took out as many loans as possible to purchase forward contracts on stocks. These contracts known today as call options give the holder the right but not the obligation to buy a stock at a certain price before some agreed-upon deadline. Dewar was buying these options in hopes that he could make a fortune when the mania he created caused the stock price to rocket. Guided by his confidence in his plan, many of his peers followed the same plan, investing what they had with some of whom even borrowing money to invest. However, several members of the Livingstons, the most powerful family in New York had shorted those contracts. That is they sold the call options with the idea that the price would plummet. Later, as the stock's value began to rapidly increase, the Livingstons decided that they were going to initiate a credit crunch. They were so rich that their gold and silver was providing the capital basis for many of the banks in New York. By withdrawing their wealth from their accounts, the banks had little to no money left to lend out. This reduced the local money supply to the point that the banks were forced to raise interest rates and even recall loans. No one could afford to give or take any more loans to invest in the call options. Once this house of cards began to crumble, investigations were launched into the cause of the bubble. It was at this point that the accounts of the Treasury Department for which Dewar was responsible were found to be $238,000 in debt, and he was held in debtor's prison for the rest of his life. His imprisonment caused a huge market panic and the bubble completely burst. Thomas Jefferson who hated speculators calculated the losses due to the bubble to be as much as $5 million, which was the total value of all the real estate in New York. Though Jefferson may have been right to admonish the speculators, it was Hamilton's policies that mitigated the economic damage from the crash. 
Hamilton believed that the federal government existed to protect its citizens even if it was from themselves. In this case maintaining economic order was a priority, if Wall Street fell then the economic shocks could potentially cripple the new nation. So he had the treasury buy up large amounts of federal securities to prop up prices and asked banks not to take back loans. This eased the liquidity shortage in the money market, and was the first example of the US government bailing out businesses in order to preserve the economy. This success was short-lived. The Jeffersonians felt that while Hamilton's policies had stabilized a sector of the economy, they did not distinguish between right and wrong, that he had used the country's money to protect what was effectively a bunch of gamblers. So when Jefferson's followers eventually took office, they immediately cancelled Hamilton's fiscal policy. Thus the mechanism of the government intervention in the market was not retained, but there were no real restrictions on speculation. This resulted in a hundred years of Wall Street speculation sprees and consequent financial panics. The government had no means of monetary regulation, which caused the United States to suffer more violent financial upheavals than other countries at the time. This concludes the first stage of Wall Street's history. The business-minded Dutch arrived and created the colony of New Amsterdam, introducing modern capitalism to what would become New York. The Dutch colonists built a protective wall to defend the city from British colonists. This was later dismantled after the British successfully invaded, and the street immediately adjacent to where the wall once stood became known as Wall Street. From the War of Independence onwards, Hamilton and Jefferson had very different views on whether the government should encourage commerce and maintain economic order, and for over a hundred years, their followers fought a never-ending battle. Hamilton's fiscal policies allowed tradable securities to flourish and caused the founding of the first American stock exchanges. These policies went on to not only start the first bull market and stock market speculative frenzy in the U.S., but also prevent a chain reaction and collapse of the economy after the stock market crashed, due to insider trading. The Jeffersonians felt that these were protections for what they saw as gamblers and that the government should not be involved in the speculative money trade. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.